LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. G'day, I'm Madeline Galea. And I'm Scott Sanders. I love that you keep the word g'day today. I feel Madeline. so Australian. Excellent. <laughs> I am, though. Uh, welcome to The One Thing, a podcast designed to give you one solid, practical tip for gospel-centred ministry each week. Hello. G'day, Maddie. Now, you were just telling me the story <laughs> when I you know, hired you, went through sort of my reference checks. Yes. Now, one of the things that I was told is if you've got a relationship with the person, you should always check with you know, the significant spouse or other or their dad. And so I called your dad and you just told me there that you were in the other room yeah. hearing the whole conversation. Yeah, he kind of, you know, let me know and <laughs> gave me a bit of a heads up. And uh, you called Rowan as well. Dad wasn't one of my references, but I, I your friends. So I, yeah, I well, I call, I, I'm pretty sure I called him up because I was, I, I was like, I don't want this to affect our relationship. This is important. Ray, Scott, that's important. I don't want this to affect. Because it could go terribly wrong and I could upset your daughter. I just want you to know that that could still happen, Maddie. I think it's gone okay, though. <laughs> it's right? gone okay. Three years later, we're still here, so it's not, you know, it's pretty good. Uh, the One Thing's brought to you thanks to Geneva Push, the Australian Church Planting Network. We're also proudly part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network, and we'd encourage you to check out our new network page on iTunes and see the other quality Christian podcasts that are available there. But for now, you've pressed play on another episode of The One Thing, Avoid Hiring the Wrong Person. Uh, today we're here with Al Stewart. You are one of the directors of Geneva Push and the national director of FIEC. Thanks for coming today. A pleasure, Madeline. Hello, Scott. G'day, Al. <laughs> and today we're talking significantly about hiring new staff, how to avoid common pitfalls in this area. Uh, and we're really hoping this will be helpful for you if you are in one of the following positions. If you're a senior ministry leader hiring uh, a new staff member for next year, an existing church staff member who is getting a new colleague next year, a part of a church getting a new staff member or getting hired yourself or hoping to for 2021. So Al, um, I hear you've got something burning to say today. Uh, enlighten us, what is it? <laughs> Well, I listened uh, to the one thing on employing new staff, and Scott had a lot of wisdom about kind of ratios of when you can afford people and do you hire the, you know, the seniors minister or the youth minister. But I thought I thought it was worth having the opportunity to say, if you're looking to employ someone, or if you're interested in taking a ministry job, please don't offer someone a job or accept a job just on the basis of a job interview. They just cannot have enough information on a one or two hour interview where everyone is all dressed up and squeaky clean to actually know enough. And if there's some energy in this for me, I've spent, I don't know, 15 years or more um, trying to deal with the disasters that come for the employer or the employee mm -hmm. uh, when people haven't got this right. So you've broken down the sort of due diligence phase of hiring a staff person into sort of five key things. What's, what's the first one? Well, the, big, the biggest one is your due diligence is do the reference checks. If you're looking to employ someone, you've got to get referees and then and make a lot of phone calls about what's this person like. Now, everyone will give you their own referees 
and you know their mum and someone who loves them okay sure okay so this guy's or woman their mum loves them great um, but you need to actually check wider who is it they've worked for in the past um, have they got someone who's older who's worked with them or been in church with them have they got someone who's younger uh, etc in the Geneva push process we've got uh, we asked for about eight referees well, that's the most important thing for me. I ring the referees and ask, what, what's the story? So you've just got to do the due diligence. If you are looking to take a ministry job, you ought to know who are the previous people that have worked in this place. Mm. Like, There's one man I know um, who's, who's got problems now because he took a job, but, but there's a trail of skeletons in that job of five or six guys who've left damaged. He just mm. didn't check out and it would have only taken a few phone calls to find out. So you've talked about two things there, uh, doing the reference check as the em, you know the church employee, potential someone, employer, but yes. also you if you're applying for a job do the reference check on the church. Absolutely. Um, what's it been like to work for this? I remember one man that um, went through staff like it was a you know like a revolving door and people would ring me and say what about working for such and such? Now I couldn't really say don't go there, I just said that could be good. Why don't you do your due diligence and ring the previous people who've worked there? And surprisingly, that man had trouble getting getting um, applicants for jobs. A staff member. Now, can you go back to the, the reference check? You, you spoke about two things. One, you just want to confirm that, that they actually worked there, so they're telling the truth. That's, that's pretty important. <laughs> second yeah, second okay. thing you said was, okay. uh, how do they go working with an older person? Uh, well, and a younger person, but you're thinking about intergenerational. What what else are you asking in that in that little in, yeah. conversation? Um, so, for example, Geneva Push will ask for a reference of someone that the the applicant has discipled. Mm. Well, they always think the guy older than them or the girl older than them is wonderful. Mm. Of course, they do. I want someone old and wrinkly who's looked at them and got more life experience and can tell you what they're really like. Mm. Let me tell you the problem with job interviews. Like, I've turned up today, I'm in my suit and tie and everything, and you you're, know, you're, you're very well dressed. Thank you, thank you, that's okay. <laughs> I just spoke to 25 lawyers at Silk's Cafe, and when you speak to lawyers, they're a scary audience, you wear your best tie and smile a lot. Okay. But you don't know anything about me other than the fact that my grandfather taught me to tie a tie knot. Uh, you know, everyone looks sharp and nice and squeaky clean in a job interview. Mm. The problem with the, the, the extra thing with ministry, you're not looking just at skills or experience, you want to know character, character. Yeah. and you want to know are they a team player, and you want to know how much supervision they need, and if you're looking to employ a bloke, is his wife with him 100% in this? Because if she's not, he can't do the job. Mm. Okay. Now that, that aspect of mm. how much supervision he needs, are, are they a are they a doer? Uh, you know, are they a doer? Are they a quipper? I guess is, is also the um, question. Yes, I guess. You know, do they build teams around them? Do they build ministries, or do they just get a lot of stuff yep. done? Of the of the five points I had, the last one was this: that you you really can't afford to employ someone in ministry, and it's expensive unless they can build capacity, mm. unless they can train people and build teams. So if you've got a, a children's minister who's brilliant with a room full of kids, that's great. But unless they can recruit people into the children's ministry and train people, you, you won't be able to grow. So you've just got to have someone who can build capacity if you're going to employ them. Uh, you mentioned about hiring homegrown people. Can you expand on that? Yeah, sure. I think employing someone in ministry is probably closer to getting married than it is to just giving a <laughs> secular job. You, you need a kind of 3D picture. Mm. Ideally, if you've got homegrown people, that have grown up within the culture and theology and philosophy of ministry in this church, and then they've been often been trained in Bible college. Mm. 
for them to come back is a beautiful thing because you know them, they know you, and their expectations fit into the culture and the way your church runs. Mm. So that that's ideal, but it can take six, seven, eight years before you've got that beginning to happen. Mm. Um, but I, I've seen a homegrown team built over 20 years, and it really was a sweet thing, the way that it could all work, because people had a 3D understanding of each other. Mm. Okay, so your first one, do your background checks. What's your second? Second one is homegrown people are the way to go. I think that's one A. And then the other one is a job description is necessary. You really need to be able to spell out what it is that you're expecting this person to do. And maybe not in microscopic detail, but you, you need a job description as an employer, or if you're going to take a position, you need a job description. And also, I think FIEC were working on templates for this, a letter of offer that explains, are you expecting them to work five days a week or six? How many hours a week are you expecting? And, you know, what are holidays, um, salary? We know they're doing it because they love Jesus, but they need to be paid as well. So just clarity on those things. Yeah, it's, a, it's all about clarity, but it's all about you, the employer and the employer, having that clarity of understanding and, and pushing towards shared understanding. Yeah, you need to be on the same page. If they come expect, like I had one one guy I know who, he had a youth minister who wanted to work about 35 hours a week. Well, my expectation, I'm crusty old black, my expectation is 35 hours a week, you're just getting started. Mm. Right? And, and so you, you need to be on the same page about that. Mm. Would you ever take that job description when you're calling a referee and saying, do you think, you know, this is kind of the skill set that's required, do you think they can meet it? That'd be a great idea, okay. yeah. That's right, I think. Right. And then you, you're asking things like character, teamwork, work ethic. Mm. And can I just ask, uh, earlier when you are talking about calling a referee, are there make or break questions? Because I've heard um, people don't always ask, they say, oh, this person's amazing, they're great. And then you say, would you hire them tomorrow? And they say, oh, no, nah, yeah, I wouldn't. Right. And it's like, oh, that didn't come through then. That's right. Well, you, you do need to just push a little bit. Okay. You say, yeah, would you hire them? Are there things that I ought to know? Yeah. If I'm going to ring you back in a year, <laughs> what do you wish you'd told me? Am I going to be cranky? Yeah. But there's, now, there's an expectation, though, that the person's put this reference on there knowing that they'll be, they'll be pretty positive. Well, yeah, although I've had one man put me down as a referee and people have rung me and I've had to be honest. Yeah, I, mm. I haven't got those jobs. I'm, I'm still pretty disappointed. <laughs> with that. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you've got to be honest. i tell you why. If you say Fred's wonderful in all these areas and Fred gets the job and he's not, mm. it's just a world of pain for everybody. Mm. So is, you, you yeah. can decide quickly and you can take your pain over time. Yeah. It just You're not doing anyone a favour by putting someone into a job that they're not suited for. Yeah, okay. So that's helpful. Thank you. So your third point is on the lines of managing staff. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, expectations. Can you, yeah, go into Well, you do two. need to, if you're going to give someone a job, you've got to understand uh, how the level of supervision that they need, how much time they'll need with you as a boss. Uh, some people, you know, a quick catch-up every week or two and they're fine and they're self-starters. Other people just need time with you mm. and you'll need to spell out what they're doing more and kind of it'll take them longer to settle in. You just need to, to know them. How do you work that out? Well, uh, <laughs> I guess it's time with them as well. The irony is, you, you know, as, as a senior minister or leading an organisation, you think, if I just had more staff... I'd have more time. Not true. Staff mm. actually take your time. 
Okay. Um, I remember there's one man that I worked with who was cranky with me, and, and once I worked it out, it was because we never talk, and mm. he just wanted to spend time talking with me. Now, Kathy says that to me, you know, we hold hands and go for a walk <laughs> on the beach. It was, I just didn't expect... Was it Scott? No, uh, no it, wasn't, it wasn't Scott, but I'm happy to go for a walk on the beach with you. But it's just, you got to, yeah, you've got to know your people and the level yeah. of engagement that they need and the level of kind of management they need. So yeah. two, two things, people are, people are different. You know, you yeah. can't have kind of a set standard. Second yep. thing you, I've heard you say as well, it's going to take extra time. Yep. Uh, it's going to take extra time, I would have thought, in the initial stages of, of someone jumping on yes. board. The hope yes. is, though, that over time it takes less time because you're moving them, you know, moving them in that sort of situational leadership framework. That's right. Sort That's of F, right. S1 down to S4 where you're, you just really have to say, here, go and get, yep. get You're, you're setting them free to build. As I said earlier, if they can't build capacity and train people, they might be great people and do great work themselves, but you can't afford to employ them. They've got to be able to work in the business and on the business. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think the danger or the mistake often is we expect someone to come in straight away and and know how this place works and uh know how you know you and yep. i are going to operate uh yep. that takes time and you need to yep. be aware that you get that staff member on there's going to be sort of a a, a, a drop in yes. in productivity for yourself yes. because you've got to put more time in someone i reckon it takes someone a year to mm, to good. really work out even someone who's switched mm. on it takes them a year they need to have been through a whole cycle before they're really going to be productive mm. and you've got to allow for that yeah. Okay, so fourth point, you say as a boss you spend 5% of your time recruiting the right staff and 95% of your time working for them. So you Absolutely. work for me. There's a great book on leadership called The Contrarian's Guide to Leadership by Stephen Sample, S-A-M-P-L-E, Contrarian's Guide to Leadership. Now, he was the VC of a big university in the USA, and he's got all these counterintuitive things that he did about leadership, like mm. never look at the news, only read books by dead people. And the big one was, as Matty just said, you spend 5% of your time recruiting the right people and then 95% of your time working for them. Mm. I think I could say, well, choose Scott here. I'd known Scott for years and years, rang him 10 or more years ago, said, hey, this thing, Geneva Push, you know, what are you doing for the rest of your life? Uh, that took two phone calls. I've worked for Scott for the last 10 years. The phone <laughs> rings and I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm given a job. Yeah. Why? Because as a boss, it's your job to help the people who work for you do their jobs. Mm. So you can open doors for them that that is a big help, or you can lean into something or give them resources Etc. It's your job to help them do their job. Now, now that's a big shift. Like you just say that it just it all rolls off because I've heard you say this aphorism so many times. That's true. That's not easy to do. Uh, it's not because you ca- you care you care about the outcome. Mate, I uh, don't care about you. No, no. I'm, but I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> but you but you've been able to delegate significant responsibility, not just in which you never push. You've done that when you're at YouthWorks. You've done that when you're at ENC. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're now doing that at a FIC. Uh, how? Uh, simple. Employ people that are smarter than you, huh? and then help them do their jobs. You may say I'm not starting from a very saying. high base there, yeah. okay? but there's a lot of room for people that are smarter than me. But I mean that. But there, there, is, a, there is a little bit more, though. You, you know, what happens when the smarter person does things you don't want them to exactly do? Uh, or, I guess it depends. You've got to allow there's some things that are that you can't live with that they get wrong. Yep. 
okay? But there'll be so many other things that you would uh, not agree with but don't really matter. Like, yeah. you know, the font that they choose, the colour scheme on something, the design of something. Who can, why is my sense of taste any better or worse than someone else's? In fact, mine's usually worse. So there's a whole list of things you've got to just let go. Because if you micromanage, they will stop trying. When Kathy and I were first married and I would try and hang out the washing, I'd hang the washing on the line and then she would come and rehang it because I hadn't hung my it. My wife right. still does. Yeah. So I said to Kathy, if we're both going to do it, why don't just you do it? Okay. Um, actually, she's in a moon boot at the moment and I'm doing the washing. So I'm, you know, that. You didn't, she didn't say to you, here's how you do it properly. Well, she kind so of would, but still, me aside, anyway. She taught me, yeah, but well, I still get a couple of things. But you wrong. get the point, don't you? If I you're going to, yeah. if you're going to micromanage people, they'll stop being motivated so you've got to live with a certain amount of not the way i would do it but it's okay or if you like it needs to be important before you stick your fingers into the mechanism Mm. where someone else is working Mm. Mm. yeah yeah and actually it's very important if you've what is very important is if you've got someone else that's got staff reporting to them do not go direct to their staff talk to the boss Okay, so because if if you jump and and go down the line a couple and then change something, you've you've demotivated and messed up their reporting. Mm. So what's the fifth and final tip? I think it was the fifth. I've already said that. I, I, I about uh, you can only afford to employ someone if they can generate capacity, yeah. train people. and I think it needs to be repeated. I, I think the mistake I see regularly in church life is we keep employing doers, not equippers. Uh, yeah, they need to be able to do both. Rod Irvine, who who built a big church down at, well, God used Rod to build a big church at Fig Tree, smartest guy in the room. Rod used to say, you've got to be able to work in the business, Yeah, you know, hatch, match, dispatch, preach, all of those things, but you've got to be able to work on the business, build capacity, train people, build resources, etc. Mm. And you can't afford to employ someone unless they can work on the business as well. Mm. Great. So what's the one thing that you would want to say to everyone uh, about hiring new staff? Do your due diligence. Get a 3D picture of the person uh, you're looking to employ or the person that you're thinking about working for. Great. Thanks, Al. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. All right, so we're going to look at the toolbox. Al, you mentioned the Contrarian's Guide to Leadership. Yeah, I just happened to have a copy here. <laughs> the Contrarian's Guide to Leadership by Stephen B. Sample. Okay. And he's got a whole lot of counterintuitive stuff that's very interesting. You may not choose to do it all, but his chapter on work for the people who work for you, it's worth the price of the book. Great. And Scott, what else? Well, we've got some other episodes uh, on the one thing from the past on staffing, so check the show notes and you'll see those. As well, Al talks uh, a number of times. He's one of our you know, frequent guests uh, on ministry life, and I reckon that's always worth uh, jumping into. Al has a great way always of sort of clarifying the truth into a, to a saying and getting you to really think into your own ministry. Uh, the other episode that I reckon be worthwhile uh, thinking into is preaching uh, Christmas and Easter. We've got Christmas coming up. Uh, so just jump in there just to give your preaching just a little bit of a turbocharge. And then the final one, I think uh, I, I talk about this book lots, uh, Leadership Pipeline by um, Ram Sharan and Drotter. I think one of the helpful things in this to think about is you, you need to be thinking about where you want your staff member to be going. And, and I think your role as a leader is to be, with a new staff member, training and equipping them so they can make the leap to sort of the, the next uh, leadership layer. Uh, so read that book. 
and think where is this person at? Where do I want to, where do I want them to be? How can I actually help them get there? I think that's a real role of, of a leader. Thanks, Al, for joining us again. Uh, and if you like what you heard today on The One Thing, uh, we'd appreciate it if you take a moment to rate us on iTunes or leave a comment. I'm Scott Sanders. And I'm Madeline Galea. Chat soon.